moms are amazing. There is something so special about moms and the bonds that they have with their children. When Judah spontaneously picks up a flower outside and hands it to Casey, I see that deep love that he has for his mom. When he gets hurt, I think that he'll run crying to me, but usually he just passes right on by me into his mother's arm for comfort. Just the other day, I tried to put Judah down for a nap, and he ran away from me. And I found him in the other room in Casey's arms, where he was certain that he would be safe from the dreaded nap. (laughs) Judah trusts, adores, and loves Casey. And I have a feeling that most of, if not all of us, would say we feel the same way about our moms. So to all you faithful mothers, thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for the sacrifices that you make for your families, for your children. You give up so many things. You give up sleep. You give up peace of mind. You give up time. You give up energy. You give up the very food off your plates. That's something new that I'm learning about parenting. You give up all these things because you love your children. And a big thank you to all you godly mothers who above all else strive to point your children to Jesus. You are the ones whose children will ultimately rise up and call you blessed. You are the ones whose children will carry out a godly legacy. Mothers such as these are the ones who have their priorities in the proper place in this life when it comes to God and their families. See, it's easy as parents to mix up priorities in this life. We're going to see that together this morning as we turn to the book of Ruth. Together. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there to the book of Ruth. Ruth is in the Old Testament. If you're unfamiliar with it, it's the eighth book in the Old Testament. So go to the very beginning and just count eight books forward, and you will find yourself in the book of Ruth. And in this book, we are going to look at the story of a mother who needed to learn the importance of putting God first in her life. And her name was Naomi. So we are in the book of Ruth, and we are going to begin in... Chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites. From Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Let's pause for just a moment right here. This took place during the time of the Judges, which, if you're unfamiliar of it, was basically the wild, wild west in Israel. The time of the Judges was when God's people were spiritually bankrupt. That is, they were living like everyone and anyone who wasn't a follower of God. So basically, Instead of following God, during that time, the Israelites lived in this continued cycle where they would sin against God, they would receive God's discipline and punishment for that sin, then they would cry out to God for deliverance, then God would save them, and then they would just repeat the process over again. That's what we find in the book of Judges. One of the many punishments that they received for sin during that time was that God allowed them to be oppressed for 18 years by the king of Moab. See, the Moabites were enemies of Israel. It's a little strange then that that's where Elimelech and Naomi 
chose to settle down for a while with their kids. And not only was it a strange move practically, but there were spiritual problems with it too. They moved there because a famine came to the land when they were in Bethlehem. And many times in scripture, famines were a means of God's discipline. So it's very possible that the famine mentioned here was a result of sin on the part of the Israelites. Now, when they experienced discipline as a nation, they weren't supposed to throw up their hands and defeat and go look for places where the grass was greener. No, they were supposed to fall on their knees, repent, and seek the face of the Lord. Even if this famine wasn't for discipline, they should have fallen on their knees and sought the face of the Lord. But that's not what Elimelech led his family to do. No doubt he and Naomi saw this as a practical matter. I mean, there's a famine. They needed food. So they were going to go where the getting was good. And that's what they did. But in doing this, they were taking their sons to a land where they were not supposed to be. Moab was a land of idolatry. It was a land of God-haters. This was not the place they were called to. These parents, while seeking to do right for their family, were making many mistakes. And all these mistakes seemed to come from the fact that they, they were putting family first in this life. They're putting family first, so they focused on the short term, the physical. And as a result, their faith in God to seek and obey him fell by the wayside. Let's keep looking together. Look at verse 3. It says, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, Both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Not only did they move to the land of Moab, but their sons married Moabite women. And maybe, maybe Naomi was happy that her sons found wives that they could start families with. But this too was a mistake. To watch her children join together in marriage with those who were presumably idol worshippers should have brought Naomi grief. God told his people in Deuteronomy 23 to stay away from the Moabites. Again, they were an idolatrous, sinful people. But again, when when family comes first, God's commands just aren't quite as important to us. Then we find that while in Moab, tragedy came to Naomi, as she lost her husband and both sons. I can't imagine the deep grief that she went through during that time. And that heavy weight of grief must have been multiplied for her. Because although she was a believer in God, which we will soon see, although she was a believer, she was not following God during that time of loss. She had left the land. God gave her family. She had walked so far from her God that she now found herself not only in a physically empty house, but in the spiritual emptiness all believers experience when they wander from the Lord. Let's look at verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. 
May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orba kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. All right, we'll come back to verse 16 in just a minute. This is where we see that Naomi did have faith in God. It was just a weak faith at this point in her life. That's why she put the blame on God, even as she went to partake in the provisions God was giving to Israel. Having lost her children and her husband, realizing she had little prospects to return to, she tells her daughters-in-law that the Lord's hand was against her. She had faith, but it was weak and it was confused. That's why in one breath, she hoped that the Lord would bless Ruth and Orpah with a future. And then in the very next breath, she tells them to go back to Moab as though that's where the best future was. From a worldly perspective, may have seemed to be the case. I mean, after all, in Israel, for Ruth and Orpah, their chance of marriage would have been dim. Sending them back to Moab may have seemed like the best thing for a mother to do. But far from it. I want you to think about it for a moment. Wouldn't, wouldn't the best thing be for Naomi to bring them with her? Why not be overjoyed that these two women from an idolatrous background were willing to come to Israel where they would be surrounded by the people who had the truths of God? She even admitted that for them to go back was to return to idolatry. Naomi strikes me as someone who wanted to be a good mother. I really believe she wanted to be a good mother. And like any good mother, she made mistakes. Hers sprung forth from having the wrong priorities in life. And she put her family first in life, which often leads to spiritual missteps and multiplied mistakes and problems. Had she put God first in her life, she may have realized that the greatest good that she could have done for Ruth and Orpah was to bring them both into a better eternal future by leading them to the one true God of Israel. But praise the Lord, Naomi, her story was far from over. Verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. 
So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. The women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Naomi should have been filled with joy the very moment that Ruth said, and your God, my God. This should have been Naomi's hope and prayer from the moment that her sons married Moabite women, that one day they would come to faith in the one true God. By the way, what we are beginning to see in the story is that even in the mistakes we make, like when Naomi went to Moab in the first place, that even in those mistakes, God can use them for his far greater purposes. And that happens when we return to the Lord, believers. It happened for Naomi when she returned to the land the Lord wanted her to be in. Still, Ruth's faith didn't bring Naomi joy. Naomi's name actually meant pleasant or joy. She gets back and tells the people, don't call me joy anymore. Call me bitter. Call me Mara. Safe to say you weren't looking to invite her to any parties after that. But I love that despite her insistence on changing her name, you'll notice that her name never changes in the story. She's never referred to that way. Because while she may have resigned herself to a life of emptiness and bitterness and joylessness, even though that might have been her plan, that wasn't God's plan. And God was not done with her yet. She had fled with her family from the land God gave them in Israel in the hopes that they would find abundance in Moab. Instead, she came back destitute and with a heavy heart. She had made so many mistakes. And to all you mothers, please know that even in the mistakes you have made, take courage. Because like with Naomi, God's not done with you yet. And your story is far from over. Even if your heart is heavy this morning because of where your children are in their lives, or maybe your heart is heavy because of the situation you are in, or you have experienced some great loss, mothers, please know that God, God is not far from you. Naomi was about to see that in her life. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. Just a quick note of explanation here for all of us. One of God's many provisions for his people in the law was that during the harvest, they were supposed to leave some of the produce behind in the fields for the poor, for the foreigners, was to take care of them. Ruth wants to take part in that God-given provision to Israel. As the story continues to unfold, we find that by God's great goodness and guidance, Ruth goes to the field of a man named Boaz. 
The book of Ruth reveals that Boaz was not just a man of wealth and standing, but he was a man of integrity and honor. He was a man of faith in God. He was also a relative of Elimelech. We're going to see the importance of that in just a couple minutes. Boaz, on his part, he learned who Ruth was. He made sure that she was able to glean all she needed for herself and for Naomi. Ruth goes home, and we are going to fast forward to verse 19. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Naomi's tone kind of changed in that section, didn't it? It's hard to stay bitter, it's hard to stay Mara, when you're seeing the Lord provide like Naomi was saying. Not only were Ruth and Naomi being provided for because God brought Israel out of the famine and, and because God created this provision for the poor, but they were also being provided for because God led Ruth to the field of a man who was not just generous, but who could be a guardian redeemer to her. So let's look a little further. Chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight you will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Naomi still wants to be a good mother. But notice that she isn't saying anymore, Ruth, go back to Moab. She's not saying that anymore. Now what Naomi is saying is, you know what? There's another provision from God that we could take hold of, Ruth. You see, Naomi needed to remember in her life that God's ways, God's ways are always better. And God had another provision in that day through what was known as the guardian redeemer, or some of your translations may say the kinsman redeemer. This was that if a man died and left behind a wife and no children, the closest male relative to the deceased individual had the duty of the kinsman redeemer. Now there were a couple of responsibilities for the one who accepted that role. Among them were, first to redeem the inheritance or the land of the deceased so that it stayed in the family. And second, to marry the widow to carry on that deceased man's family name by having a son with her. All right, the purpose of all this was to prevent a family's extinction in Israel and to provide for the widow. 
Naomi was seeing how returning to Israel and following God's provisions, doing things his way, actually was going to provide the best future for Ruth. So she tells Ruth to do these things and to ask Boaz to be her guardian redeemer. That's what this was all about. And as the story unfolds, and I would encourage you to go home and read the whole book of Ruth, as the story unfolds, Boaz takes the steps to do that. He marries Ruth and God blesses them to have a son. Skip ahead to Ruth chapter 4, start in verse 14. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. Here in the book of Ruth, we find this short story about Naomi. And Naomi had made a great many mistakes in caring for her family. She became heavy-hearted and bitter as a result. But when she returned to the land where she was supposed to be, she began to remember God's goodness and His promises When she started walking by faith and living out God's will for his people, her joy was restored. And she was able to see that God's way is so much better. Had she made mistakes? Yes. But God used them for his great purposes when she returned where she was supposed to be. We see that Ruth Ruth was brought into the family of God by faith. Ruth, who was better than seven sons to Naomi, Ruth had a son who, we find later, that son would be an ancestor of the future king, David. You see, God made it clear to Naomi that he was with them. And when she started putting God and his commands and purposes first, she was ultimately able to better care for her family. Naomi is a great example of a woman who wanted to be a good mother And she tried to do that by putting her family first. But as a result, God took a back seat in her life and she wandered from doing things God's way. But as she returned to God, put him first and followed his purposes, that's when she began caring for her family the best way that she could. And God blessed her. That's why our truth this morning from her story is this, believers. When we love and follow God first, we can love our family best. When we love and follow God first, we can love our family best. Moms, maybe you're here and you know that you've been putting your family first in this life. And that because of that, God has taken a back seat. Maybe you know it's time to change that. That's true. I'd encourage you to go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Or maybe you're here Moms, and you're looking at things and you just feel like you've made so many mistakes or you're looking around and you're going through some turmoil, please know God's not done with you yet. Even if you have wandered from Him, please know that He is still near to you. He's not far off. Know that you can do great things even through 
the difficulties you find yourselves in. And please don't misunderstand. Even mothers who put God first in this life are still going to make mistakes. They're still going to experience moments of great loss. But those mothers, when they go through times like that, because they are walking with the Lord, they'll have him right there to comfort them, to guide them, and to put them back on track. And this application is not just for moms, but for all believers. Because believers, the truth is that when we love God most, we can love others, including our families, better. So again, thank you, moms, for all that you do. And thank you to all the moms here who love God most in life, so that you can love your families the best way possible in this life. Before we close together, if you are here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, I want to share with you the greatest thing that my mom ever shared with me. My mom loved and loves me and my siblings, but she told me when I was young about a greater love. That's the love that God has for all of us. See, the truth she shared is that we are all sinners. We've all broken God's commands. We've done wrong things. And that because of those sins, we are separated from God. And we can't make up for Him. So at the end of this life, we're going to continue to be separated from Him forever in a place called hell. That's when my mom told me about the greatest love. The love that God has for me and you. The love God demonstrated when He sent Jesus Christ to this earth. Jesus is the Son of God, and He lived a perfect life, which we can't do. And at the end of that life, Jesus willingly died on the cross to take the wrath, the punishment we deserve. See, because He is the perfect Son of God, He could take our place. After He died, He was buried, and then powerfully rose from the dead, proving that He is who He said He is. He's the Savior. He's the Son of God. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you have never made that decision, please, please know, no matter what mistakes you have made, no matter how far you feel from God, that God is not far off. And right now, He's waiting for you to come to Him in faith. Right now, He's waiting to forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life. Would you pray with me? If you're here and you've never made that decision, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now, wherever you're sitting. You might be here on campus, you might be at home, you might be sitting listening in your car on the radio. Wherever you are, and wherever you are in life, you can give your life to Jesus Christ. Go to Him right now in prayer. Admit to Him that you know you're a sinner. That you know He died on the cross for your sins. Ask Him for forgiveness and He will forgive you. Put your faith not just in His death, but in His resurrection. And give Him your life today. Father, I pray that if there is anyone here who's still on the fence about that decision, that they wouldn't leave without talking to someone. Without talking to me, without talking to Richard, without talking to someone in this sanctuary. Father, for those of us who have made that decision, help us to take seriously the truth that when we love you most, we can love others better, including our families. Father, today is a day where we thank you for a great blessing you have given to so many of us. 
the blessing of loving mothers. We pray that you would wrap our moms up in your loving arms. That you would bless them in a special way today. I pray that if there are any mothers who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ, that today they would make that decision. They would be adopted into your family. They would receive eternal life. Father, we love you. But as you proved when you sent your son to this earth, you love us so much more. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.